So, I have, I won't say a story, I actually have a tale about a few different people today that I get to talk about. So, I got a lot of scriptures, some of them I put up there, some of them I didn't, just because there is a boatload. So, if you'll excuse the Browning paraphrase. Now, you'll notice that we sang the song this morning, Here and Now. That was on purpose, believe it or not, because what we're talking about today, or what I like to call this, all are welcome. That's kind of, that's one of our mottos here, right? Everybody's welcome here. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your origin story is. Everyone's welcome here. So we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 to start with. And then, like I said, we're going to go all kinds of places in Acts. So at the beginning of chapter 9, we're going to be talking about Saul. Who's familiar with Saul? We talked about him a little bit last week, right? He was a bad dude, wasn't he? He was, he hunted the Jewish people. That's probably the best way I can describe him. And the scripture even says that he was eager to hunt down God's people. Now this guy even went as far, before he traveled to a place, he would go as far as to send a message to the high priest of the church and be like, hey, I'm going to come get some of your friends and I need your cooperation. I need you to cooperate and not fight me on it or... You're going to. But on his way to this particular church, God intervened. Now we're going to start in verse 3 through 9. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And if he's anything like us, you hear a voice from the sky in a bright light, you're probably going to be on your knees, like scared to death, right? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him back by the hand, to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and didn't eat or drink. Okay, so to paraphrase this, Saul's walking down the road, sees Jesus, has his conversion experience. That's, that's all it took for Saul. And you see a bright light in the sky and you hear, you hear Jesus? Yeah, uh, sold. I'm, I'm good. But he's struck blind. God gives him specific instructions where to go. So, moving on, he's laying there in bed, blind, not eating, not drinking, and all he's doing is praying to the Lord. At the same time, the Lord speaks to another believer, Ananias, about Saul. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go to Saul, and I love this verse, listen closely. Go to Saul, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. That's a little perplexing, isn't it? Ananias is thinking, I'm sure Ananias knew who Saul was. So now the Lord's telling him, go, get up, and go get Saul, because he's my chosen instrument. Now, if that were me, I'd probably be thinking, why Saul, Lord? He, he kills your people. Why don't you choose somebody that's been more faithful to you? But what did Ananias do? He didn't question it. He didn't sit there and bellyache because it wasn't him. He got up and he went. 
Now, when he got there, he laid hands on, on Saul and he healed him. From then on, through the rest of chapter 9, to just kind of give you a little, a little quicker version of it, we see Saul preaching boldly, going out into the cities and preaching and not holding anything back. And I'm sure people in the crowds are going, this is the same dude that was knocking down my door a couple weeks ago trying to kill me. What's going on here? My first point is God is for everyone. Now, in these stories, we're going to hear about Gentiles and Jewish people alike. It's a lot like talking about, in today's terms, Christians and Muslims. God is for everybody. He's not just for us in here. He's for everybody. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so... Saul's a bad dude, and he hunted the Jewish people, but at the end of the day, he was Jewish, so he wasn't that bad. He was still, he, he, you know, it wouldn't be that hard for God to save him, right? Well, I got another example. Moving on to chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. Now, at times, you'll just hear me refer to him as corny, because I like it. It's okay, laugh, it's all right. And Cornelius kind of, for me, saying Cornelius a lot is kind of like Shane saying Nicaragua. It just kind of blah. So, Cornelius was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everybody in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming down towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Uh, what is it, sir? Yes, the angel. Because what else are you going to say to an angel, right? Like, oh, hey, what's up? No. <laughs> okay. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Say that ten times fast. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Right? As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. And he told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. He didn't sit around and contemplate what the vision had meant, what the angel was talking about. He didn't think, oh, I'm going I'm to wait a few days, and then maybe I'll send these guys. And this is a common theme. He heard, and he followed. He didn't waste any time with it. Now, Cornelius isn't Jewish, as I said. He's a Roman officer. He's a somebody in the Roman army. You guys remember the Roman army? They were popular for oppressing people. Yet, he was one of the few that feared God. And so did everybody in his household. He wasn't like the rest of the Romans. And he is a prime example of how God can use people who believe differently than others in their culture. Now, Cornelius' boys go to find Peter. Moving forward a little bit. Peter is, the way I kind of see Peter, he's hanging out on a rooftop, right? And he's praying. Now, the scripture says that he was hungry at the time. So obviously, well, I know when I'm hungry, I have dreams about food, right? Verse 11, he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet, there were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, Lord. 
Peter declared. I've never eaten anything that by our Jewish laws has been declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to leave. Now here's what I like about this. God, the more I study the word, the more that I believe wholeheartedly that God has a sense of humor. Because he didn't just show Peter this vision one time and go, oh, okay, you got it. Because we're people. We're dumb, right? If God would have showed me this vision, I'd be like, what is he talking about? So, Peter, so he shows Peter this vision three times in a row. It's like, okay, you got it? Okay, okay, oh, okay one more time. You got it? Uh, uh, okay. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and told him about Cornelius' servants. Oh, that's coming up. Sorry. So Corny sends his, sends his guys to go pick up Peter. I told you there's a lot of scriptures, so I've got to kind of jump around a little bit. And when they get there, one of Peter's assistants or one of his servants come up and was like, hey, there's some Roman guys that are here to talk to you. And Peter's like, uh-oh, you know, what, what did I, great. It's just what I need. Just had this vision and now this. And God says, Peter, hey, I sent him. Tells him who Cornelius is, and he says, it's okay. Go talk to him. So he lets them in. They tell them who their master is and why they were sent there. So Peter says, okay, you guys are cool. Come in, stay the night. We'll have some dinner, and we'll head out in the morning. Moving down to verse 24. In the meantime, as the next day comes about, they head out on the road. Once they get to Cornelius' house, something I find interesting is, Cornelius, as soon as he sees Peter, he drops to his knees and he starts to worship him. Peter goes, whoa, whoa, no, come on, come on, dude, no. Cornelius is kind of taken back. He's like, what? Peter says, dude, I am just a man like you. Don't worship me. So they walk and they talk for a little while, which, by the way, is illegal for a Jewish man and a Gentile man to even speak. But Peter tells him, you know that it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile's home or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Now, I think at this point, this is the moment where it clicks. Because before then, I think Peter was probably still kind of scratching his noggin about the vision. Because bacon is delicious. Am I right? There you go. I heard an amen. Yes. But when he meets Cornelius, it's, it's almost like God kind of thumps him in the head and says, dude, this is what I'm talking about. So he finally gets it. He's talking about people, not pork. That's Facebookable. The great thing is it was through the obedience of a Roman soldier, of a Roman officer, that from, meeting, from the meeting of Cornelius and Peter... After that point, they go on to preach, and there's tons of Gentiles that are saved. So through the obedience of one Roman officer, it resulted in hundreds or thousands of these Gentiles being saved, and the Holy Spirit was passed down to them. It sparked a revival, because one man. God accepts everyone. Roman, Jew, Gentile, American, Muslim, any other group of people you can think. God accepts everyone. Tattooed, untattooed, 
piercings, no piercings, blonde hair, black hair, blue hair, green hair. God accepts everyone. A-L-L, all. Exactly, the train agrees. Moving over to to chapter 15, we're going to go back to now Paul and Barnabas. Shane kind of mentioned it last week that there's literally like one verse where it talks about Saul, and then the next verse it's like, and Paul, who was also known as Saul. A lot of times, what I remember growing up is that nobody ever really talked about like when Paul started going as Paul. It was always just kind of assumed that it was well, obviously after his conversion experience, he wanted to be, be seen differently, so he started going as Paul. I kind of hope that he went back and forth to just kind of mess with people sometimes. I would. Anyway, Paul and, Bar- Paul and his friend Barnabas, they've been on this huge mission trip, and they've been going everywhere preaching the gospel. They've been going from Antioch to Cyprus, Iconium, and a bunch of other places that I can't pronounce. And they've been preaching the word, and they've been saving people. Now, on their travels, though, they hear about a debate that's going on back in Jerusalem among some of the leaders. So, after a little while, they're like, all right, let's go home and see what this is all about. Picking up in verse 5. Once they get there, they're, they're welcomed by the rest of the believers. And then some of the believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees, bum, 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 stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to meet and required to follow the law of Moses. Boom. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, and I want to emphasize this part, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Now, I was thinking about this this morning. When you're having a disagreement with somebody, and you sit down to talk with them about it, if you're able to talk civilly about it. It's real easy to get impatient with what they're saying and interrupt them because you know you're right, right? They sat and had a long discussion. Now, I can imagine that that was probably hard for Peter to be like, but I'll wait. He waits until they're done. And then he stands up and he addresses them like this. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we're all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So, basically what the Pharisees thought, and pardon this pun, is no skin you're in. Ooh, yeah, nobody laughed. That's awesome. Right? They said you got to be circumcised and you got to follow the laws of Moses. They're putting requirements on everything. You got to follow the law. See, the Pharisees were big about the law. The law, the law, the law, the law, the law. I ain't got time for grace. The law. And Peter says, guys, that's, that's stupid. It's stupid. God knows their hearts. 
God made no distinction between the Gentiles and us. So why are you making this harder for them? Why are you, why are you setting them up to fail? Is essentially what he's saying. God's grace gives us salvation, not the law. Because the law is only as good as the people that write it. And the lawmakers are flawed just like we are. The law is biased. Sometimes the law is unfair. God says, you know what? I don't care who you are. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care where you grew up. I love you. And my grace is for you. My grace is a gift for you. As a church, guys, if we set, if we tell people, look, yeah, yeah, we want you, we want you to come here. We want you to be, we want you to be saved. But you've got to do this, 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 and this first, and then come talk to us. Who's going to do that? If we start setting restrictions on them, the people are going to go, yeah, okay. No, thanks. I don't, want to give, I don't want to give all my money to ensure my salvation. No. I work too hard for my money. We have to emphasize that grace, grace is our way to salvation, not the law. Now, as we, uh, as we have a time of reflection, I just want to say a quick word of prayer and just be thinking about how we can welcome everyone and how, though it's kind of easy sometimes to be biased and just reach out to the people that are like us for whatever that may be, white, brown, tattooed, no tattoos, whatever it may be. It's easier for us to go to the people that we're familiar with that we have something in common with that look like us or sound like us. But we are all welcome in the family of God, and God wants us all. That's the truly beautiful thing about God's family is it's so diverse. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just welcoming all of us. Not just the, uh, you know, the pale white kids like myself, but, you know, you have a family of many colors and many creeds. And Lord, I pray as we, as we leave this, leave this room today, Lord, that we will maybe see people differently that we will see people through your eyes and not through ours. Lord, that everybody needs to be reached. And we are all welcome at your table. Move in this time of reflection, Lord, and speak to each one of our hearts. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.